So hey, um, maybe you're just tuning in online or maybe you're gonna listen to this on podcast later and it's probably helpful uh, to know. Um, on March 17th, uh, our plan is to uh, open up the building, or not a building never closed, but invite back anybody that wants to be a part of uh, our services here in the building. Um, and so we're gonna open up an RSVP system for that um, and you'll get to um, register you and, and whoever you want to come with you, however that works, I actually really don't know, but it'll all be online. Um, and so we're still gonna do some different things to keep it safe with COVID, limit capacity and mass and all that, but we're super excited uh, to celebrate that with you guys on March 17th. So be on the lookout um, on Instagram for more info about that later. Um, so uh, me and my wife, we have two kids, uh, Samantha, who's about to be one, which is crazy. She was born two weeks in a quarantine. Can't believe she's about to be one. Uh, and then Harper, uh, who is going to be three in September, which is pretty unbelievable. And it's a really fun stage with Harper right now because she's like in that toddler stage where she's learning so many things and picking up on so many things. Um, we're teaching her a bunch of different things and she um, like knows how to say a lot of things and then still can still mispronounces a lot of things, and it's like really, really cute. It's like I hate when she learns how to say things correctly. You know, it's one of those things. Um, but she's picking up so much, and I've got to start being really, really careful the things that I say around her. Like, I, you know, if I'm not careful, she's going to be the preschool that shows up and drops a Lego and says, like, crap. You know, like, I don't want my kid to be that. That would be best case scenario. Um, I don't want... Just kidding. I don't want my kid to be the one that does that, you know, and that would be completely my fault. So we've got to be very careful of the things that we say around her. She's listening even when we don't think she's listening. Um, she's paying attention to things even when it doesn't seem like she's paying attention to things. Um, and so we've got to be very, very intentional with the things, that we, things we say around her. Even when Julie and I, when we like get in some kind of fight or argument around her, yes, that happens uh, in marriage, um, she kind of gets like upset. And so we have to, we make up around her and we do a family hug and like, hey, mommy and daddy, still love each other. It's all good. Um, but we try not to have big disagreements in front of her and all this stuff. And we're being very intentional with the things that we say to her and how we help her process emotions and the things that we talk to her about and don't talk to her about. And it's one of those things where I've even just started thinking about what are the things that I don't want to tell her? Like, what are some of the things that I grew up hearing as a kid that uh, maybe you grew up hearing as a kid that I just kind of want to avoid telling her because I think it's kind of dumb. Um, and maybe you heard this, right, when you were a kid, that you can do anything you put your mind to. You heard, we all heard that. You know, there's posters on it. That's like kind of not true. <laughs> you kind of, you, you literally kind of can't do anything that you, that you put your mind to. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe I want to tell her, hey, like if you work really, really hard, there's a lot of cool things that you can achieve. That seems a lot more reasonable than do anything you put your mind to. Or um, this is a good one. You can do anything you want to do when you grow up. Uh, nah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you really can't. Like, Harper, if you want to play in the WNBA, I'm pretty sure that's not in our gene pool. Like, we just, we, we're, I'm not, like, that's not going to work out for you. You know what I'm saying? And so there's certain things that I'm just like, ah, I, don't, I don't know if I should say that. And I'm not trying to be a weird parent. I'm going to inspire my kid to greatness. Everyone leave me alone. But there's some things that just aren't true. And then there's this third one. And this one I'm definitely not going to say to my daughter um, because it's definitely not true. And, and, and maybe you heard this. I certainly heard this growing up. And by growing up, I mean like when you were in elementary school, you heard this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I'm definitely not telling her that because that's just not true at all. That's definitely not true at all. No, in fact, words can absolutely hurt you. And the reason why words can absolutely hurt you is because what I'm talking about for a few minutes um, is that words are powerful. 
Words are powerful. And I get the sentiment behind that idea that we teach little kids. Hey, don't, like, don't let anybody's words define you. Like, it is okay. You're not a butthead. Like, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? But ultimately, what we're saying is words um, don't have as much power as sticks and stones to hurt people. But that's just not true. No, 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 no. Words are powerful. Um, powerful in the negative sense. They have negative power. Um, that I guarantee you can think back to moments in your life, maybe even recently, certainly growing up when someone's words hurt you, uh, a friend, a coach, a parent, maybe more recently a roommate, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and it, it did not end very, very well. And it was some kind of gossip that was said about you. Someone made a comment about your performance. Uh, someone made a comment about the way that you looked. Someone said something sarcastic, and it was meant to be a joke, but it just hit a little bit too close to home. And it might have been recent, but isn't it so true? You can think of moments where this happened in like elementary school or middle school, and you can kind of start to feel it right now because you remember what they said, you remember how they said it, and I just kind of cut right through you. And maybe in that moment, or maybe even recently, you kind of laughed it off and you blocked it off, but is it so true that in those moments, it's like something inside of you died a little bit? I know it's true for me. I can think back to defining moments when I heard things that hurt me, things that I still carry, not in a baggage kind of way, but I can remember certain things that were said to me in middle school because that's how powerful our words are. But also, not only have we been on the receiving end of negative, hurtful words, the same is true that uh, people have been on the receiving end of your hurtful words. And if I'm being honest, um, that happens far too often with me than, than I care to admit. If there's any message in this series that has convicted me the most while I've been writing and preparing it, it's this one. Because your words have also hurt others, and my words have also hurt others. And it's such an interesting thing with words and the dynamic of words because maybe you've been in a situation where you said something in the heat of a moment. You said something to your mom or to your dad or to your roommate or you were in a fight with him, you were in a fight with her and, and you said it in a moment you thought you wanted to say it and then later you regretted it. Or you said it and right in that moment you regretted it and you're kind of like seeing the word come out in slow motion and you wish you could take it back. But here's the interesting thing about that dynamic of words is that even like once you say them and even if you apologize and regret it, they're still said. And there's this weird just kind of leftover residue no matter how much you try to clean it up that the word was still said. The words were still communicated and sometimes the only way to really get through them is a little bit of time that for some of you, maybe you've been in situations where there have been some things said and something about that relationship changed forever that day. Words are powerful. You don't need me to convince you of this. But the opposite is true, right? Like negative power, but also positive power. That we've also been hopefully on the positive power of receiving words, or maybe we've given the positive power of giving life-giving words that you can certainly think of moments in your life when somebody spoke belief in you, like somebody saw something in you that no one has ever seen and they spoke it out and they brought it out of you, that someone um, spoke trust in you, that someone spoke love over you, that someone spoke potential, they brought out the potential and the gifts in you, they affirmed passions in you. Um, maybe it's simply a compliment that changed your day. Even get any of those and it's like, man, yeah, I knew I looked good, but now I definitely know I look good. You know, like there's just moments where somebody says something nice to you in a day, you weren't expecting it, and it just changed your day. And for some of you, and this is gonna sound like an overstatement, but I'm gonna prove it to you over the end of the night. For some of you, someone's encouragement literally changed the direction of your life. 
think understanding the power of our words has always been an important conversation, but I think in today's world, um, it maybe is a more relevant and important conversation than ever before for all of us, leaders included and myself included, and here's why, um, is because there used to be a time when the only way you could communicate words is with somebody face-to-face. But now, because of social media and technology has dramatically changed the way that we communicate, that technology um, has made it easier than ever to say whatever, whenever, to whomever we want. That more than ever before, we can use our words to, in, in whatever way, whenever, to whomever, at a pace and a rate like never before. Social media, technology, texting, commenting, all the different ways that we can communicate with people. And so I think in today's world, more than ever, and then if I'm also just being real, in the, in the just kind of the time of the country that we're in, there are so many polarizing things going on. I think more than ever, it's so important for us to pay attention and to give more credit to, maybe in a way like we never have before, how powerful our words are. And that's where we're gonna be jumping into, and that's what James talks about in James chapter three. As we continue our series, Walk It Like I Talk It, we're kinda walking through some of the major movements of the book of James. And the book of James, he's just kinda right in your face, Uh, We've said this every week, but it's about spiritual maturity. And what is spiritual maturity? It's not about knowing more. It's about when your faith gets put into action. It's when you begin to live out what you actually believe. And so uh, James is walking us through what faith in action looks like. Uh, And tonight we're going to be in James chapter 3, and he's going to show us the power of our words. He's going to symbolically talk about it um, by talking about our tongues. And we're going to jump in James chapter 3, starting in verse 3. He writes this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, watch this, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue, he goes on, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. So he's talking about these little things that have a huge impact. A little bit in the horse of a mouth can move and steer a massively strong animal. Small thing, big impact. That uh, a rudder can make a huge ship turn. Something small can have a massive impact impact. That's James's point. Big things can be steered by, directed by, and influenced by really small things. And he makes the comparison, the tongue, a really small part of the body makes great boasts. The tongue, a small part of the body has a lot of influence. The tongue, a really small part of the body, though small, though seemingly sometimes insignificant, no, 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 can make something big, like not just our body, but what he's about to go on to show us, the direction of our whole lives change and move. Something that I think is worth writing down, that either you can control your tongue or your tongue will control you. That notice in his, um, in his analogies that there is a horse, it is being steered by the bit. A ship is being steered by the captain. So the rudder is a tool, and it's being used in a way that is helpful. Our tongues, our tongues, we are in control of them. 
We have the power to control them. So either we control our tongues, we control how they're used, we control the words that we speak, or ultimately our tongues will control us. And let me promise you, you don't want your tongue to control you. How do I know that? Look what he says in verse five. He goes on. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Again, something small, big impact. Watch this. Listen to the imagery. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, he goes on. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. (laughs) And it itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Such vivid and strong imagery. My first thought is like, man, James had a rough childhood, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he got made fun of a lot. Um, Strong, strong imagery. The first thought, okay, are you exaggerating, you know? Are you just, you know, just really playing this thing up to try to make some fun little point? No, 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 I don't think he's exaggerating. I think he is making a very vivid point with this, type of energy, with this type of energy. But for what reason, I believe he wants to communicate to you and to me how powerful our words actually are. And did you notice what he said? That it has the potential to set the course of one's life on fire. That he's saying that your words exhibit the power to influence the course of your life. And I buy this. Just like play it out with me for just a second. Like logically, just think through this. When you are reckless with your words, people are never gonna take you seriously. When you are careless with your words and how you communicate about things and to different people, it'll cost you. It could cost you a job. It could cost you an opportunity. It can certainly cost you influence. If you're consistently hateful, sarcastic, or mean with your words, um, no one's gonna wanna be around you. You're not gonna have very healthy relationships. You certainly aren't gonna be able to date very long. I mean, if you are consistently gossiping, and I know gossip kind of feels like a middle school thing, but come on, it's not. It's when you talk about one roommate after the roommate leaves because they did something to you that one day. It's you talking trash about somebody at work because they're frustrating you. It's, if I may, you maybe leaving small group and talking about somebody that opened up about something to other people in the group. And when you consistently gossip, guess what? No one's going to trust you. And I don't know about you, but when my relationships aren't healthy, when I am not in a place where people trust me and I trust them, when I'm not in a place where I'm surrounding myself with people um, that want to be around me, the course of my life does not look very good. I'm talking about the potential of influence lost, opportunity lost. Why? Because we didn't pay attention to the power of our words. And isn't it so true, man, for some of you guys, you've experienced this. Your words, or maybe the words of other people, have done irreparable damage. And I'm not saying it's always fair, but I am saying that, that's always, that sometimes that's just true. We're seeing this happen all over the place in, in, the, in pop culture and in the world of, of famous people that say really, really dumb things and influence gone in a second. That you can spend your whole life building influence and then you say something wrong 
You say something stupid, you say something careless, you say something insensitive, you say something without thinking, and then boom, you've lost influence. And sometimes it's impossible to get back. Whether you think that's fair or not does not change the fact that it happened. It's how powerful our words are. It can set the course of our whole life on fire. And ultimately, here's what I believe is ultimately true and what James is about to get into, is that your tongue is an indicator of what's going on up here and what ultimately is in here. That your tongue is an indicator of what is going on up here and what is ultimately going on in here. In fact, there's a quote um, that as I was preparing for this message, I thought was too good not to share. And there's a commentator who um, literally spoke exactly, or was writing about this verse here in James, and this is what um, he wrote, George Shulak. He said, be hateful with your tongue, and you will be hateful with other aspects of your behavior. He says, if you do not discipline and purify your speech, you will not discipline or purify the rest of your life. But there's this strong correlation between what comes out of our mouths and ultimately telling us what is actually going on in here. If you're hateful with your words, man, there's some hate in here and you better believe it's gonna show up in other places. If you are, it's like you could, you and I, in some sense, speak into existence what is true. And isn't it so true that sometimes the more you speak it, you just actually start to believe it more than you ever thought you did. That, 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 that for some of you, um, you ever heard like, hey, when you consistently complain about something, you actually start to believe every bit of complaint that you actually are saying, that it actually affects how, how you're feeling about where you are, it affects your mood, affects your state of being and all of that. Why? Because you're consistently speaking in existence. If you've ever met somebody who has no control or filter about what they say, that's a sign of immaturity. And I guarantee you, um, there's other areas in their life where they are immature, what James is saying and what George Tulag is saying and, and what I've experienced in my own life, man, it's an indicator of what is going on in here. And James jumps into that in verse nine. Continue on in the passage. With the tongue, watch this. He's about to step on some toes. We praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And he gives this analogy. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, they can't. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. And he concludes, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That there is um, things you cannot reconcile and what he is ultimately doing by talking about the fresh water and the salt water and the fig tree and the, and the grapevine, the analogy directly connects back to what we talked about last week, the royal law of love, that you cannot praise God and with the same mouth curse humans who are made, as he said, in the likeness of God. It all consistently comes back to this New Testament ethic that Jesus taught, that every apostle picked up on, and that James wrote about. We talked about it last week, the royal law of love, that you cannot be okay with God if you are not okay with his people. And watch this. You and I, in so many ways, it is empty praise when we are praising God on a Wednesday 
and we are using our words for evil on a Thursday. Praising God on a Wednesday and jumping online and causing a bash on a Thursday. Cutting people down. Belittling, berating. And this is convicting for me too that with the same tongue we praise God, we curse people. We talk down to people. We cut down people. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty easy person to get along with. Um, and if you were to come up to me, and, and I know this illustration breaks down at some point, but go with me here for a second. You come up to me and you're like, hey, Sam, I just want you to know, man, I really like you. And I think you're awesome. And I think, you're, you know, I, think you know, you're, I love your, your messages and you're, you're really cool. Like, man, you know, I, just, I, I think you're, you're, you're great. I love being here. Like, but can I, I don't really like your kids that much. Like, I had to stop following you on Instagram because Harper's really annoying. Um, and Samantha, like, God, does she pick what she wears? Because I don't like her outfits at all. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. So if you have an Instagram account that doesn't include your kids, I'd love to follow that. But I don't, I don't really like your kids. They're just annoying. And, and we really need to figure out how to get them better manners. Can I just tell you, you and I can never be good if you're not good with my kids. Like, if you don't like my kids, you and I are never going to be okay. If you hate my kids, you're never coming to my house for dinner. Like, we're not going to be good. And I know that analogy breaks down, and I'm not trying to equate myself to God, but what I am trying to do is communicate the emotion of and how big of a deal this is if you're a Jesus follower. You can't be okay here if you're not okay here. And a tongue that praises God is full of empty words if it is consistently cursing and cutting down and discouraging and berating his people. The two can't go hand in hand. It's irreconcilable. And what I love about this, if you're a Jesus follower, this is what I'm speaking to. If you're not a Jesus follower, this is one of the most compelling things about our faith. That we don't believe in a God that is okay with empty praise that has followers who also might just be religious bigots. No, 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 no. Our heavenly father, when we surrender our lives to Jesus says, okay, here's your marching orders. You better love them as I loved you and I don't care who they are. Ultimately, what James is teaching you and me is that the duplicity of our tongues reflects the hypocrisy of our hearts. The duplicity of our tongues, the praise and the cursing, the praise and the talking down to, the praise and the tearing down, the praise and the hating, it's a duplicity, which is ultimately a sign of hypocrisy in here and for you and for me. I'm telling y'all, um, I need this because there are so many times when I do not have control over my tongue. When I say things that I should not say, when I speak to people in a way that I should not speak to, and I'm a Jesus follower, and that means there is work that needs to be done in here, and I've got to start rooting it out. What do I want you to do? What does James want you to do? I think it's really simple. I want you to respect the power of your words. Watch this. When you respect the power of something, watch this, you are acknowledging what it is capable of so that you can then use it in an appropriate way. When you respect the power of something, you are acknowledging what it is capable of 
and therefore use it in a way that is appropriate. I just saw an Instagram video just a few months ago of this dude who just got a purple Lamborghini and he was trying to show it off and he got in it and he pushed the gas on that junk, lost control of it and crashed it. He probably looked like, I mean, I can't imagine how embarrassed he was. He did not respect that V12 engine. Like it's not the little Corolla that I've got. I mean, that thing, you know what I'm saying? Like um, he did not respect the power of the engine and he lost control and it led to destruction. He didn't respect the Lambo. I want you to respect the power of your words. I want you to understand what they are capable of for the good and the bad so that you can use them in a way that is helpful, not harmful. What's a good place to start? James gives us a few really, really quick to-dos, but before we get to that, here's a precursor. Where's the first place? How can we begin to respect the power of our words? First, we gotta do a little bit of self-awareness and digging. And I want you to ask yourself, and this is something I want you to think about. When are you most prone to be careless with your words? That is a question worth asking. It's a question worth answering. When are you most prone? When are you most prone to, to be careless with your words? Is it when you're angry? Is it when there's conflict? Is it when you're trying to be funny? Is it when you're trying to get even? Is it when you're trying to prove a point? Is it when you're getting defensive? Is it when you're getting feedback, giving feedback? When you're hiding behind a screen and typing on your phone? When is it that you are most prone to be careless with your words? And, 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 and let me tell you this, sometimes self-awareness is really, really hard to see in yourself that you need an outside perspective. If you're even unsure of how to answer that, in fact, I would challenge every single one of y'all to do this. If you would be brave enough to do it, ask somebody that you're close to the answer to that question. Ask somebody that you're close to, somebody that you live with, somebody that you're dating. Hey, um, you've probably seen ugly sides of me that most people don't see. Can you tell me times that you've noticed, examples that you've noticed, when do you think I'm most careless with my words? I would love if some of you guys ask other people that question that you trust, that you have that kind of relationship with. It's hard to get that kind of feedback, but I'm telling you, you're never gonna be able to grow in this area if there isn't any kind of self-awareness. And sometimes you're never gonna be aware unless you find someone else that you trust to help you answer that question. When are you most prone? When are you most prone? Answer the question. So now once we answer that question, and you can do that later, I want you to think about it. Um, James then gives us a really, really helpful to do. Just a couple chapters back in James chapter one, verses 19 and 20, he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Ready? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says, I want you to be slow, no, quick, excuse me, to listen. Quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I wanna talk about each of those three things really quickly. First, quick to listen. Being quick to listen is the difference between waiting to respond and seeking to understand. This is so helpful. That when you are being quick to listen, here's what happens. You move from waiting to respond and what you start doing is seeking to understand. That when you are quick to listen, when you are quick to listen, you're not getting ready for what you're going to say, 
No, 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 you're not waiting to respond. No, 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 you are seeking to understand what they are saying. That when you and I are not quick to listen, what we are doing is we are getting ready to respond. We are waiting for our turn. We're waiting to say our peace. We're waiting to tell them why they're wrong. We're waiting to tell them our side of the story. And when we are gearing up to respond, you're not creating any space to actually listen and to process and to understand. That if you're never going to be quick to listen, it's gonna be really, really hard to learn about the other side. It's gonna be really, really hard to learn compassion. It's gonna be really, really hard to learn empathy. And watch this, when you are consistently waiting to respond rather than seeking to understand, you're also going to have a really, really hard time at growing and maturing as a human being because here's what's true. Ultimately, whenever we are only waiting to respond and never seeking to understand, what we are saying is, I'm right and you're wrong. It's a defense mechanism. It's you and I playing defense. It's you and I. This is what defensiveness looks like. And do you know why I know that? Because this is one of my biggest struggles as a leader and as a husband is being defensive. Anytime I do any kind of evaluation on how I can be a better leader, in fact, I just did one. Um, our whole staff, our directors of our staff are all doing these um, evaluations where we ask people that work on our teams and different people we work with to give us feedback on how we're doing both good and bad. And you know, sometimes it's hard to work through it all, but it's so, so good because it's the only way that we're gonna grow and get better. And defensiveness always finds its way in there, but I'm working on it so much. Ask my wife, I'm consistently working on it. Because my default is as you're talking, I'm like, dumb point. Okay, I can disprove that. Are you kidding me? You really think that? I'm gonna tell you why that's not true. That's my default and I've got to stop thinking and say, okay, I'm just gonna listen. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen. I'm going to process. I'm gonna own my part of the conflict. I'm gonna take the feedback. I'm going to be quick to listen. Seek to understand. Don't just sit there and wait to respond. You might be shocked at what you learn, but it's gonna be good. Um, the second thing, slow to speak. He says, be slow to speak. Being slow to speak is the difference between helpful words and hurtful words. Being slow to speak is the difference between helpful words and hurtful words. That when you are slow to speak, here's what you are doing. You are creating space between the listening and the responding. You're creating a little bit of space to think. You're creating a little bit of space to process before you say something that you might regret. And sometimes you literally need to take a walk. There's times when I'm in the midst of kind of having a conversation and, 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 and me being slow to speak is, hey, I hear you before I can, I, I need a second. I need a second, I need a second to process that because I'm, I, I feel what I'm feeling and I think I'm gonna say something that, that I don't mean and I just need a second. Sometimes being slow to speak is saying, hey, like, can, I just, can I get five? Can I just walk to the bathroom real quick and come right back? Like, just give me, give me two seconds, let me get a Coke Zero and I think I'll be able to do this. That oftentimes you and I find ourselves in a position where we're regretting the things that we say whenever we are reacting. Uh, I had a college pastor when I was in college said, when you react, you regret, and I love that. When you react, you regret. 
when you react to your dad. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I think that is often true, that maybe it's more likely when you are reacting to something quickly, you're more likely to regret. However, when we are slow to speak and we process, when we are slow to speak and we create space to let our emotions kind of simmer down and actually hear what they're saying, we're more likely to respond, which leaves us less likely to regret. Three things that are worth noting about this very idea, and the first is this, you ready? Um, slow to speak, three things. Uh, just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you should always share it. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you should always share it. Because there are times when your opinion is helpful. There are times when your opinion can do good, but sometimes we just put an opinion out there because we can, but it doesn't help anything. It's actually hurtful. It's actually insensitive. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't help anybody understand. It doesn't do anything for anybody. I'm not saying you can never share your opinion. I'm just saying, have a filter. We live in a world where it's like, oh, got an opinion in an iPhone, I can say it. I don't know. I've read some really dumb stuff online recently. Why did you say that? It's not helpful. It's not helpful. So just, just, just you know, sometimes, just because you have an opinion, this is not just a social media thing. This is with roommates. This is at work. Sometimes just because you have an opinion, just ask yourself, is it really worth sharing? Not always. Not always. The second thing, you ready? This is a really helpful rule of thumb. We're going to talk about this again when we jump into our dating series this fall. This is a helpful rule of thumb. You ready? Write this down. This is huge. If you can't say it in person, you shouldn't say it in a text. Some of you are like, what? I just broke up with him last week in a text. Okay, listen. <laughs> and I'm sure someone's gonna be like, no, here's a really good reason why you're, this is, okay, there's an exception to every rule, people, but a helpful rule of thumb, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, if you can't say it in person, if you don't have the courage to say it in person, don't say it in a text. If you have to hide behind a screen to say it, don't say it. Well, Sam, why? What's the big deal? Because we are living in a world where we are losing the ability to meet people face to face. And it is hurting our interactions, it is hurting the way we build relationships, and it is even hurting the way that we can and can't build trust with other people. So if you can't say it to their face, don't say it in a text. Don't at me with exceptions to the rule. This is a general rule of thumb, okay? And then the third one, this is kind of connected back to the first one. Notice, he said slow to speak, not don't speak. James isn't saying we need to be passive. He's saying, I just want you to think about it for a second before you speak. And then the last one, being slow to anger is the difference between constructive behavior and destructive behavior. Being slow to anger is the difference between constructive behavior and destructive behavior. Constructive words and destructive words. Anger in and of itself is a good thing. When channeled correctly, it leads to action. There are things in this world that should make us angry. Injustice makes me angry. When someone does anything to hurt someone that I love, it makes me angry. When I see something in the world that isn't right, it makes me angry. And that anger, that is a righteous anger, and that can lead us into change. The problem is we're not good at being angry. Oftentimes, our anger tends to be focused at a person rather than an issue. And sometimes we're just not good at being angry. 
But when we are slow to anger, when create space, what we're ultimately doing is letting the, 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 the unhealthy emotions of anger subside that would lead us to do something that we regret. The unhealthy emotions that lead us to say something that we might regret. Here's what I know is true in my life, that when emotions run high, the control of the tongue runs low. You know this, when emotions run high, when you're getting angry, when something's really burning in here, the control of the tongue runs low. But being slow to anger gives perspective. It allows us to focus on the issue and not the person. And it allows you and I to channel it appropriately, to respond rather than rather than doing something irrationally that we might ultimately regret. Um, I read a book a couple of years ago. Um, haven't read one since. I'm kidding. read a book a couple of years ago, and um, it was by a guy named Gary Thomas. It's a, uh, Love as a Way of Life. There's the title of the book, Love as a Way of Life. And in it, he had this analogy, very simple, kind of elementary, but it stuck with me. He said... Your words are either seeds or bullets. They give life or they take life. And I read it and I'd never forgotten it. That every single day you and I live in a world where our words will either give life or take life. And here's what I wanna challenge you with tonight, especially if you're a Jesus follower, this is a non-negotiable, I want you to speak life. I want you to give life. And what that doesn't mean is that you're just suddenly like, oh, I'm just nice to everybody. No, 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 no. There are constructive things that can be done in your anger and the things that you want to see change. But whenever we are giving life, we're choosing to be constructive and not destructive. That giving feedback honestly and in a way that is loving, no, no, that is constructive, that is helpful, and that is still giving life. But I also want us to look for opportunities to affirm people in our lives. I want you to look for opportunities to encourage people in your circles of influence. I want you to ask the question, hey, how do I want to be remembered? Because the ultimate reality is what people are going to remember most about you is how you made them feel. And how your words connect with them is going to directly impact how they feel when they are around you. So how do you want to be remembered? How do you want people to feel when they see you coming? How do you want people to feel when you're in a conversation with them? I can think back to moments of my life when someone chose to speak life and I'm telling you, it still affects me today. Back in high school, I had a soccer coach, Coach DePlanche. He wasn't the softest human being, okay? And so for him to say something nice, it was like, oh my gosh. I remember I tore my ACL my junior year, missed the whole season, really affected my senior year. My, my high school soccer career did not go the way that I wanted it to go. And so at our senior, my senior year, we were at our end of the year team banquet and Coach DePlanche is up there giving away team awards. And the last one was the um, coaches award and he gave that to me. And he started talking about me and my heart and my perseverance and just the crazy couple of seasons that I had. And he started crying, talking about how he wished he had a team full of my heart. Not my ability, uh, but my heart. <laughs> and after I was talking to his wife and he said, Samer, I've only seen him cry two times in his life, tonight and when our daughter was born. And I was just in high school and he was my son, but I've never 
forgotten it. Like it built up something in me that day that I don't know that I've ever told him. I should find him on Facebook. I can think back to a conversation that I had with my youth pastor and now one of my mentors still to this day. When I was a senior in high school, he looked at me and said, hey, Samer, I see something special in you. I see gifts in you. Have you ever considered that maybe God might want to use you in ministry one day? No. Here I am today. He was the first one to speak that into my life, and he spoke life into me and called out my gifting, and here I am getting to lead TLR. I think back in the moment, the conversation I had with my parents when I was trying to figure out what seminary to go to, and I was thinking about moving out to Dallas, Texas, and it was going to be financially difficult, and I was going to need my parents' help, and I wasn't sure if it was worth it, and my parents sat me down like, hey, listen, we believe that you're going to do some great things. We want to help you get there, so you go, and you don't worry about anything else. I can think of moments with my wife. I can think about moments with my team, with some of my best friends where they spoke life into me. And it wasn't just being nice. It was I'm seeing potential and I'm going to draw it out. I see something that needs to change because I know you're better than that and I'm going to call it out. I'm going to speak life into you and my life is infinitely better because of it. And I've been able to follow in the direction that God would have me because in so many ways he's used the different ways that people have spoken life into me to lead me to where I am today. I kid you not when I tell you one of the most profound things you could do to somebody's life is affirm something in them because you have no idea what it could lead to, where it could go, or where God is going to use it and where he's gonna take them because of it. So how do you want to be remembered? What life do you want to lead? And may we be a people that respect the power of our words and choose every day, no matter what, to give life rather than take it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, I pray you would reveal things in us tonight. I pray that um, you would give us the courage to do some of the hard work to really begin to uproot some of the hypocrisy that might be lurking somewhere beneath the surface. I pray you would give us an awareness of the place in our lives where we struggle with our words. I pray you would impress on all of us the importance of this conversation. That Father, your very words did nothing but give life. In fact, your very words were the thing that created life. Your very words were the thing that created this world. Your very words put breath in our lungs, and so, Father, as a reflection of who you are and your character, may our words do the same. May they be the wind and sails. May they be a part of building up your kingdom. May they give life, not take it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.